0: we were playing a word game mm. and we were spelling words and one of the kids spelled sex and the parent volunteer was like, Oh, like she was like, Oh my God. Like, no. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, six. I literally like corrected him. I was like, Oh, you mean six? Like the number six. <laughs>
1: I had it's no, like you can't spell.
0: Yeah. I actually was like, Oh, this boy does not know how to spell six. <laughs> I didn't know what the word sex meant until like, honestly, very late I feel yeah, like I feel in like, high like, school. Probably. Mm-hmm, same. It's Alyssa
1: and Stacey. And And this this is is Tea
0: Talk. Talk. So, girl, we've both been like on the go and just pretty busy the last couple of months. Yeah. And so that hustle and bustle lifestyle can be really difficult on our bodies. So I figure we should maybe check in
1: with each other. This is true. I haven't seen you. Like, I feel like to see you, we have to like move mountains and like (laughs) schedule. like so meticulously. And it sucks
0: because like every time we do see each other it's typically like because we need to like get work done. Yeah. And so we haven't had just like quality time and so this time is our quality time. It is. Recording is quality time.
1: Yeah so yes let's check in with each other. How are you feeling actually today Alyssa?
0: Yeah thank you for asking. I think if you would have asked me two weeks ago I would have said my anxiety was really high. I was stressed out and i felt really like out of my body because mm-hmm. i was on the road and just like not eating well and not being able to like be on a routine i've had a couple of weeks off of travel so i've been able to actually sleep Yay. in my own
1: bed sleep is so important and like
0: sleep is amazing but also just like sleeping in your own bed there's something about that that like allows you to just have better sleep in general cuz you're more comfortable <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: cuz you're in a very like familiar environment like yes. as even, even though we've you know slept in very a lot of different beds
2: <laughs> that's oh, not what i meant girl have
1: you i mean like <laughs> like hotels and stuff oh, okay. okay okay that's like traveling i i got you <laughs> oh man <laughs> i mean i slept in a lot of beds i mean hotel beds <laughs> hotel beds but there's nothing like your own bed and your own room and truly. your own like space
0: truly and i think that I didn't realize how taxing travel was on my body until I was doing it. And so, honestly, the last couple of weeks have been amazing because I feel like I've just been able to reestablish, like, my routine. I feel better. Today, I'm feeling not, like, as tired, I think, as I was before. Um, Stress levels are lower, which is good. So, of course, stress affects everything. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, overall, I'm feeling good. So I, and I've been able to see, like, I saw my Cairo. I had acupuncture this week, so I do feel... Like, I'm in a cadence that I enjoy and I want to be able to keep that up. And what about you,
1: girl? I think I was also pretty stressed out, even though I didn't acknowledge my stress at the time. I think because my busy season started all of a sudden Mm -hmm. from me not being busy at all. And especially right after coming home from vacation, basically. I think I confused... Busyness with I don't know just like you know when people like glorify being busy yeah I think I was kind of semi semi self consciously doing that as well I'm Mm -hmm. like oh no I'm not stressed I'm like actually doing something Mm -hmm. you know but because it came all of a sudden I didn't really know how to balance my life and like I actually listened back to our prioritizing and balancing and like that adulting episode that we did. And I was like, oh okay, wait, I need to actually prioritize some stuff and like move around what I'm focusing my energy on. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to reassess what I think is actually important and also like mm-hmm. s- or setting boundaries for myself to like, okay, you don't need to be working 24 seven, you need to spend time and like allocate time for yourself to just relax and exactly. be by yourself. And re- that could look different for everyone, right? Like for me, I really, I, I really miss just sitting in front of my TV and like, catching up on my shows like Mm -hmm. that is actually really important to me like I I have all of these like streaming Mm -hmm. services that I pay for and I'm like I feel so bad I haven't like watched any of them and so really setting time aside to just like watch a tv show and like a part of my brain was like Stacey you're wasting time Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, I actually felt so much better and was actually more productive yeah. because of it.
0: But everyone recharges differently, yeah. and like your thing is watching shows, and that's for a lot of people too. So for me, it's actually like going to the chiropractor mm-hmm. and like uh, doing acupuncture and getting a massage every week because um, this helps. I mean, separate. I would
1: love a massage actually. It
0: ends up being like a two hour thing because yeah. I have to like do all of the things, like physical therapy too. So it's like four things that I go for acupuncture, chiro adjustment, physical therapy, and a massage. And so that it ends up being a two hour appointment every week. And for some people it might seem like that's a big commitment, but because that is literally how I take care of myself and unwind and prioritize my health. Like it, I, I pencil it in, yeah. you know? So I think that whatever your thing is, you just need to make space for it mm-hmm. and be, again, listen to your body. Cause our bodies gives us, give us so many cues and ways that they're you know, telling us like, take care of it. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, you're dehydrated or you're <laughs> right. just not eating well. Like right. you feel that difference like immediately in your energy and the way you think and the way you just like i felt the energy
1: so hard like i felt so drained and just i wasn't even able to like keep up conversations because i just did not have the brain power or like the energy to do so because one i was also just not eating properly because i felt like i didn't have time to actually eat like nourishing Mm foods so i was just buying a lot of like takeout or just like really foods that are just like not that great for you yeah like fast foods and stuff. And um, I would stay up really late because yeah. I would get home. I've been getting home around like 1130 mm-hmm. on average these days because I'm also training for a showcase for my pole studio. And while this is something that I did want to prioritize because this is something that I'm really passionate about, it's been taking up a lot of time. Right. And I get home and I, wind. I don't immediately fall asleep because I still want that like time on my phone, exactly, you know? yeah. And so I've been sleeping around like 2 a.m. and then having to wake up in the morning to go to work. So I really had to like put my foot down and be like, okay, some nights that I when I don't have pull, I'm also just going to say no to social events. And like not having dinner with people, even though I want to, you know, that's like how I like to spend my time. Like I'm an extrovert. I'd like to be with friends. But having to say no to that because I know that my body needs rest Was actually really hard for me, but it's probably one of the best things that I've done in the last, like, two weeks.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's never easy to prioritize yourself, because if it was easy, we'd all be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we all have these, like, external factors that pull us in different directions. So, personally speaking, it's, like, just non-negotiable for me. Like, I, especially just given, like, my health, you Mm -hmm. know, issues that I've had in the past year, it's, like, I know that I have to do that. Otherwise, it will send me in a spiral of just anxiety and symptoms that I know that can be prevented. So I definitely value as much me time as I can yeah and I think it's important that we have these conversations about like how we're feeling because on the outside I think a lot of people can look at you and think like oh you're fine right because you're you're keeping up you're doing all these things and it looks like you're executing them flawlessly or whatever Mm -hmm. but the reality is is that being busy and having so many tasks on your plate is is stressful it is and it's not just the tasks it's like the relationships behind it it's like emotionally draining and physically as well so yeah, I think that it's good that you're taking time for yourself. And I'm really grateful for these last couple of weeks, too, because I definitely needed just a breather. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm getting that, which I really appreciate. So
1: yeah. And then also just like, as women, like our time of the month, like yeah. our menstrual cycle is actually a huge factor in our like energy levels and like our just whole mentality and our emotional state. Like, it's, yes, it's actually like, something that we actually need to be very cognizant about because it informs like what we need to do. Yeah. Depending on like what stage you're in in
0: your menstrual cycle or like ovulation cycle, it can really impact the way you feel. Mm -hmm. And then we don't, always pay attention to it we just chalk it up to maybe like being busy or stressed out but there's actually signals really happening like in our body about like what time of month it is and what you might need to do to like take care of yourself Mm -hmm. so yeah
1: there's like a ton of apps out there too that help you track your cycle and then it'll tell you what cycle like phase of the cycle you're in and so each phase of your cycle you have like a different energy level you know you need to eat different foods like and all of these things that we just need to like learn about because it's our bodies and it's right. our reality. So, right now, I'm actually on my period. Um, it's my second day. Wow. <laughs> and so, I know that when I'm on my period, I'm actually very, very low energy. Yes. Like, I'm very fatigued. So, mm. like, these are all like symptoms that I need to be aware of and adjust my lifestyle accordingly. Totally.
0: You like need a break.
1: Yeah. You need to take care of your body.
0: Yeah. And that's a great segue. Because we have an amazing guest today who is going to talk all things women's health and all about our bodies. And I think that this is just like really timely considering. (laughs) Well, one, you're on your (laughs) period. But two, we're both like in this, I think, stage or season where we want to focus more on our bodies. So
1: we're really excited to introduce our guest. Okay. Today in our actual studio, again, we're back in the studio. This is the first time we've done like a special guest virtually. Yeah. So this guest isn't actually here with us physically, but hopefully this works out if the, you know, the sound is a little off, like we apologize, but this is the best that we can do. But this is a very special guest and she is a dear friend of mine that I met through a guy that I was friends with in New York and I went to their wedding and it was beautiful. But yeah, she is... A doctor of women's health. I'll have Alyssa take it away. Sure, yeah, we're so excited to have Dr. Sabrina Sani
0: virtually joining us today, and she is a board certified family medicine physician who completed her two-year fellowship in specialized women's health at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. She now currently serves as a physician in the Department of Gynecology at the Cleveland Clinic in Weston, Florida. And Dr. Sani is also the founder of SKS underscore MD, an online platform which empowers and educates women to advocate for their health. And so we are so excited to have you, Sabrina.
1: Welcome, Sabrina. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here you guys
0: and would you want to add anything to your intro did we leave anything out
2: no it' was perfect you guys are <laughs> you guys did
0: great awesome and so you are in Florida right now I am in Florida
2: it is hot I am adjusting to the new weather climate but it is going well so far
1: nice so you guys just moved there I think right you, you were telling me we we yeah.
2: moved back in July and I'm Originally from the Midwest. I'm a Midwest girl at heart. So I'm used to cold winters. I'm used to all of that. So Florida is an adjustment, but I'm
0: loving it so far. Yeah. Oh, well, we're so grateful that you are able to join us today. Um, today's topic is I think something that both Stacy and I have felt uh we really wanted to touch upon in this season because as young women, I think the stage of becoming an adult has taught us a lot about it, like our bodies and how to be in tune with it and advocates for ourselves because mm-hmm. Our health is something that, you know, when you're a kid, you don't maybe really think about
1: and as we've gotten older i've definitely felt it in my body same girl (laughs) the changes that i've been going through and i don't know i feel like the 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 older i've been getting the more um i want to know more about my body and yeah the more i realize i don't know anything about my body so having you on today is great because you're an expert in this field yeah (laughs) and what's kind of funny is
0: yeah what's kind of funny is when you're a kid you know you go through puberty but i really feel like as an adult you go through like a second puberty where you become awakened (laughs) to like what your body really is and does for you and so i'm excited one because like stacy said i still think i'm kind of in the dark when it comes Mm -hmm. to a lot of women's health issues um so we'll just jump in to i guess some of the questions that we have for you and we're just excited to um, learn about your expertise
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: And so I guess we can take it back to our experience growing up as kids and uh, the first sort of interaction we had with learning about our bodies. And for most of us, it's comes early on maybe like late elementary early middle school Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you all can relate there's this like one health or sex ed class that you have to take or it's not even a class for me it was literally just like a unit in science and a video pretty much that i was shown and we all know that video yeah (laughs) for
1: for me they like had this special day where they separated all the boys and all the girls and we were all like filed into like a dark classroom they wheel out the old tvs with the cassette tapes yeah y'all remember that oh
0: i'm literally having flashbacks right now
1: and (laughs) then we're like oh yay movie and then they show us like all these things that frankly I okay before that day I actually did not know that women get periods every single month and
2: i the thing that women don't that girls don't know that and I think a lot of times people that's like book girls first exposure to mm-hmm. like anything sex related anything you know with regards to changes in their body and they don't really prep you for it like you said no. they really just bring in the video they turn it on and you're like what
1: yeah I, I yeah, it just like flew over my head. And I remember coming out of it. And my face was just pale white because I was so shocked. I was just like, what is this? Why am I gonna bleed every month for the rest of my life? And I think what's so sort of traumatizing about that
0: experience is that, like you said, there's no context for mm-hmm. it. Especially if you come from a family that, where, like, they don't talk about sex it. is not mm-hmm. discussed. Your body is not discussed. It's almost like taboo to talk about. Right. And then you go into this like hour long video where it exposes everything.
1: Well, but not even everything, well, right? Okay. They- yeah. They literally tell you these are the ways that you can like these are the things that you can buy your, your pads your tampons that that was it yeah and like and by
0: expose i mean they just dump
1: it on you in a way that like doesn't feel like
0: responsive to where you're at as mm-hmm. a kid like it, there's no ease into it
2: no and they dump it in in like a 30 minute video and you're supposed to like absorb everything and know what's going to happen for the rest of your like retroactive years like all of a sudden right so it's not the best way to learn sex education in my opinion but i mean i um, my hope is that things have changed pretty significantly. What over was, years.
1: yeah. What was your experience growing up? and how was how were you exposed to and- all of this?
2: I think the same way you guys both were. I mean, it was taboo in my household. I came from, you know, a pretty strict, you know, Indian household. We didn't really talk too much about health. Um, You know, I went to a school where I was pretty much the only person that was not white, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest. So I kind of felt like everybody around me had this like edge over maybe their bodies or like, you know, had the context that I necessarily didn't have. So it was, it was tough. It was yeah, but no,
0: yeah. yeah. I really I resonate with that too because I grew up in a very white community as well. And I felt like I remember the first time I heard the word sex was actually in first grade. We were playing a word game mm. and we were spelling words and one of the kids spelled sex and the parent volunteer was like, Oh, like she was like, Oh my god, like no. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, six? I literally like corrected him i was like oh you mean six like the number six <laughs>
1: i had like no you can't spell
0: yeah i actually was like oh this boy does not know how to spell six <laughs> i didn't know what the word sex meant until like honestly very late <laughs> i feel
2: yeah, like I in feel high like, school probably mm-hmm, same I agree. I I mean, similar to you, I mean, I think I learned a lot of like, you know, swear words and like things about sex, like honestly from like the school bus. Like, yeah. you know, you sit in the back of the bus, everybody's talking about things, people are passing notes, and you're reading words, and you're like, what does this mean? Right. And then you go home and you ask your parents, I'm like, what did you say? Yeah. I was like, don't ever say that again. And it was, yeah.
0: Exactly. And now that like I'm an adult and I think about just children, I'm like, I never want my future child to have their first experience with like sex education education being on the bus back at the school, you know, like that's just not how I want them to be introduced Mm -hmm. to it. So I think we bring that up just to kind of show like many of us have the similar experience of like not having the proper education or context. Which then impacts our understanding of our bodies because we we just don't know mm-hmm. until we we have to know. Um, so I'm curious about sort of your line of work and what you actually do. I guess in your in your job, like what it, you know, what is it that you do in your daily role?
2: So in terms of my day to day, I see pretty much all female patients. <laughs> um, I do a lot of ambulatory gynecology, which is basically just like your annual pap smear, your general, you know, birth control consults. But I do see a lot of elderly women as they kind of transition through menopause um, because it's a it's a really big, big change. And I think a lot of girls, especially our age, like don't really like think about it. And that's normal and appropriate, but these are things affecting our mom, our aunts, yeah. affected our grandmothers, and it's inevitable. It's going to happen to us the next you know, 20 to 30 years, depending on our age. And people should be prepared for it. I mean, it, it takes a hit on your body and people, you know, react differently. But I, you know, see several women with various complaints. Um, we do, I do things like, you know, all contraceptions, procedures, IUDs, next one on birth yeah. control, um, And then a lot of counseling. I mean, I always tell my patients, you know, even my elderly patients bring in your daughter if she's 12 or 13. And if she has questions about stuff, bring her in. We don't have to do an exam, but if she wants to talk to somebody and ask these questions, this is, you know, we're as, as doctors, we're kind of the front line for that. So. Yeah.
1: I I love that because I think a lot of parents still don't know how to breach the subject and don't know how to kind of like prepare their daughters for all of this because they themselves have not been educated. And having that accessibility is great for like having that resources is fantastic.
2: And I think girls generally like may not want to talk to their mom about our like, mm-hmm. issues, right? Like they don't want to talk to their mom. They may not have an older sister. You know, they may not have somebody that they can go to, but really like your primary care physician or your OBGYN really should be the person that you feel comfortable and safe with going, to, going uh, with these questions. So I'm all for it. <laughs> That's yeah.
1: fantastic.
2: I think
0: you're like the first doctor that I've actually heard say like, oh yeah, I encourage people to just come in and talk to me about this. I feel like my experience with doctors has been the complete opposite where it's like I don't have a relationship really it's more of like I literally go in to do that annual check and that's kind of it and I don't ever feel like I've had a good relationship where I feel like I could just openly discuss like things like that so I I just think it's awesome that you are encouraging that for like older women and then also saying like bring in your daughter to talk Mm -hmm. about. These things.
2: I also think like the curriculum affects that has probably changed, but I think we live in an in an era where like social media is everything and the internet is everything. And I don't know about you guys, but I certainly didn't have access to the internet when I was yeah. going through all this stuff. I had no idea. So people are looking things up online, they're WebMDing everything. It certainly is a black hole once you go online and start mm-hmm. Googling yeah. symptoms or questions. So
1: <laughs> you're always dying for, uh, according to WebMD. Yeah. I've
2: exactly. definitely diagnosed is, myself. And all <laughs> And you're like, I'm dying. So, yeah. so I'd rather them just come to me and ask the questions that, you know, they have questions, you know, that yeah. they
1: need answers for. You just so. reminded
0: me, actually, like, yeah, the internet was not really at the age of like 11, 12 when mm-hmm. I was like going through my changes. And what I actually, how I learned about puberty was through an American Girl. Oh, book. I had that book. I feel like most <laughs> girls, like. Probably received it. Yeah. And that was only because of my aunt, who was, like, very Americanized. Like, she was born here. So, like, she was like, okay, you need to learn about this. Because had it not been for her, like, I would have no understanding mm-hmm. of, like, what a period
1: is or, like, and that's, what's happening that's in That's so boobs. funny that they're, like, instead of talking to you, I'm just going to give you this, exactly. this illustrated book. Like, <laughs> that, here's all you need to know.
2: That your, like, 11-year-old self is supposed to interpret, like, yeah. on their own, right? That was it, yeah. Yeah.
1: And
0: so... Yeah, I think that context is helpful to set us up for kind of like where we're coming from in terms of understanding our bodies at as like, you know, young adults into who we are today. Um I in your in your line of work, what would you say is sort of like the most common, I don't know, misconception about women's bodies if there is one?
2: Oh god, that's a good question. Um the most common misconception. I mean, I think it depends on I would say for younger girls, a common misconception is that you can't get pregnant on the birth control pill and you can get pregnant mm-hmm. on the birth control pill. You can also get pregnant with an IUD. So it's rare, but it does happen. So a big misconception, I think, is that I take the pill and I'm not going to get pregnant and I'm not going to get an STD, but really birth control doesn't protect, protect against STDs. You need to wear condoms for that.
1: Yeah. I think sex ed is also like moving away from like the period stuff, like during that same like video that they showed us, like they always preached just abstinence, just like don't do it and don't get pregnant. Yeah. You do it. You die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like
0: that was just the message back then. I just didn't even understand the concept of sex. Like, yeah. You know what? Like 11.
1: I'm like, what, what is that? Like, what is that?
0: What do you mean I can get I, pregnant? I don't understand. <laughs> um, so I guess you, as a perfect segue, cause we did want to talk about birth control. I think, you know, it wasn't until I was a fully grown adult that I started to like discover what birth control was. And, and, you know, I had to make the decision if it was right for me. And I'll admit I was on it for a brief part, like part of my 20s. Um, But I guess what are the different types of birth control and um, what are the benefits of taking it?
2: So. There's different types, like you mentioned. There's obviously the pill, which is probably the most common. Um, there's a combination with estrogen and progesterone, and then progesterone alone. There's things like IUDs, which are intrauterine devices that actually go into the uterus and help prevent pregnancy. Um, there's implants that can go in the arm; those are called Nexplanon. Um, there's injections. There's vaginal rings. I mean, there's just a ton of different types. I always tell people that birth control is somewhat trial and error. I mean, you really have to find one that like works for you because it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, most people want to try the pill first. Um, they are There are a ton of different formulations and varieties. I think there are some that, you know, if you tell your doctor like, oh, I have really bad breakouts with my period or I, you know, tend to have, I'm losing a lot of hair. There are formulations that might be better towards helping your skin clear up a little bit, um, That help with hair growth, things like that. There's ones that are really helpful for, um, you know, alleviating cramps, et cetera. So again, you got to tell your doctor like all of your symptoms, why you want to be on it if it's not just for contraception too. So make sure you tell them your full menstrual history, everything that kind of goes on.
1: Yeah, I think um, I also was on a really brief birth control pill stint um, back in freshman year of college when I first started becoming sexually active. Active. and obviously these are not conversations that I had with my parents <laughs> but that was also how they found out that I was sexually active because they found my birth control pills and wow. yeah and they were like what is this and I'm like oh you know it's birth control pills and they're like why do you need this and I'm like uh <laughs> acne
2: <laughs> or like True, it does help that. It helps so many other things too. I mean, I think, uh, not to cut you off, but there are a lot of different indications. It's not just because you want to prevent pregnancy. If you're on it, it does not mean you're sexually active. It does not mean any of that. So I think it's a common misconception, especially in our culture too, that like Mm -hmm. if you're on a birth control pill, it means like you're definitely sexually active, which isn't necessarily the case. And by law, doctors are not allowed to um, tell parents if they're, if they're younger patients under than 18 um, want birth control. So wow. you can feel free to go to your doctor if you want to go on your own, talk about birth control. And we don't necessarily have to disclose that to a parent. Oh, that's really good to know. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> especially And especially like if you ever want to talk about sex stuff as doctors, we don't disclose that. In fact, if you come with your mom, we actually ask the parent to leave the room in order wow. if you want to discuss birth control or or any of that stuff so wow
1: that's new to me yeah that is new to me <laughs>
0: but like also really great to know that you know as a patient even if you're young you can still have that like safe space to mm-hmm. discuss those things because it's not even something i considered you know no. as a young t- like i just was like i'm not going there with my parents like it was just like uncomfortable yeah. um and still today i don't think i would probably go there so um, i mean i still don't talk to my parents about any of this stuff yeah yeah <laughs> and i love that you also bring up that birth control is more than just like birth control mm-hmm. and because I think again a lot of women think you think of it as just right one a means to like not get pregnant but you're right there are so many when you mentioned all of the different types I was blown away
2: there are so many types and I'm sure there will even be more there's actually one that's coming out next year that's like a vaginal um ring that you take out um, every month but it lasts a full year wow. that's like the first vaginal ring that will last an entire year where you don't need to go to the uh, to the feels- to pick up a new one Wow! So, yeah, they are definitely thinking of all options, all ideas.
1: Yeah. Wow. And and I love that there are different kinds of birth control pills, not just to cater to different bodies, but also different schedules and like yes. your like your, your lifestyle. Your lifestyle mm-hmm. Because for me, I also don't really like taking hormones in my body. So I opted for the copper IUD. Yeah. And I also it was like so convenient because I can just leave that in there for like seven years. <laughs> yeah 10 wow. years you can actually leave it in for 10 are you years serious? 10 years awesome wow. 10 yep.
2: years oh my gosh yeah that's the longest one all the hormonal ones are anywhere from three to five but the copper is there for 10 full years
0: okay can you explain that then like so what's the difference between like a birth control pill and the copper IUD or whatever you have? <laughs> or-
2: so a birth control pill is obviously a pill you take by mouth yes. every single day at the same time. An IUD is essentially like an intrauterine device that you put into the uterus and there's hormonal types and non-hormonal types. The only non-hormonal one we have is a paragraph, which is the copper one. The copper is actually what, co- what prevents um, pregnancy, the actual copper wiring. Wow. Um, the hormonal ones kind of act by being hormonal medi- hormonally mediated so they act um, locally within the uterus and they prevent pregnancy that way but generally speaking depending on how much hormone is in it it tends to run out anywhere from three to five years which is why I'm people have to get it taken out maybe it's a new one in or transition to something else okay
1: and i think a lot of people they're scared of getting the iud because one it is an invasive procedure yeah and two they're like oh but like what if i want to get pregnant like i have to get it taken out you know like when i do want to get pregnant because it does um, last so long. And I know, like, maybe even a few years ago, a lot of people, a lot of doctors even were like, oh, you shouldn't get the IUD unless you've already been pregnant before. (laughs)
2: Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. There are certain... I, mean, I don't, obviously. yeah ...that are designated for women that have had babies because of the size of it. And so if you have delivered vaginally and you've had a baby, we know it's a little bit easier to insert.
1: Mm. Now,
2: it doesn't mean that we can't put that in somebody who's never had a baby before. And mm. quite frankly, I think it's one of the best line options for contraception, especially in women who are in 20s and 30s. And again, like you said, it comes down to lifestyle. Girls our age are busy. They're working. They're in school they've got active social life, but they can't be tied down necessarily to a pill at the same time every day. Right. I mean, some women are really good at it, but for the, for a large majority of women, the IUD makes a lot more sense. And I will say removal is much better than insertion. So oh, don't no. be scared. Oh if the insertion was traumatizing, the removal is much better. So I have a question.
0: What's the pain level involved with it?
2: So it depends on pain threshold. Um, I tend to tell people it feels like a severe menstrual cramp. And now, Stacey, you might be able to say if that is true or not, but that's generally how I counsel it. It feels like a severe menstrual cramp. I also like to insert them when people are on the tail end of their cycle, Mm -hmm. especially if they've never had babies, because I know that the cervix is open it's easier to insert. Mm -hmm. So I always like to have patients come back, like coinciding with their cycle. I think it's just easier. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. When I got to put it in, like, She, my doctor told me to come in like during my period and then um, it did feel like a really bad cramp for the rest of the day. Oh, wow. But the thing is, I'm used to very bad cramping because I just normally get really bad cramps every single cycle which is unfortunate mm-hmm. um but i was basically just lying on the couch all day okay but you don't feel it now no it's okay. i've had it in for almost three years now okay mm-hmm.
2: yeah you can't feel it after the fact just the couple, just the day of for sure
1: yeah. just it. the day <laughs> that's it great so i think we talked just
0: about some of the benefits of birth control or just you mm-hmm. know these methods um let's talk about maybe some of the side effects or negative aspects yeah. That could be attached to these things?
2: Um, So depending on hormone levels, it can cause things like breast tenderness, nausea, you know, like all of those nuances that women just don't want to deal with. Some people, and some women, acne gets worse. Mm. Um, Some people say that they gain a lot of weight with it. Now they've done a lot of studies that have looked at women on birth control and then given people like a placebo pill and there was equal weight gain amongst both groups. Estrogen itself does cause water retention. So I think people tend to retain more water than if they weren't on the birth control pill. So that probably contributes To some of the weight gains. Now, the other kind of, with any estrogen containing product, there is a rare risk of stroke or blood clots. So generally speaking, women under thirty-five, that risk is low. If they're over thirty-five, and especially if they're smokers, that risk is higher. Okay. Or if they have underlying blood, blood uh, underlying high blood pressure. That
0: is helpful to know. I I got off of it because I felt um, one, it was really hard to keep up with, like the daily bill. I was not good at like the schedule, so I felt like it was already ineffective, anyways. <laughs> um, but two, I did feel like I don't know. I felt like my mood was different on it. So I yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I like this is for me. So I just stopped taking it. But Mm -hmm. I'm glad to know that there's like a lot of other options other than the pill.
2: The pill, there's different formulations. Mm -hmm. So like I said, it's trial and error. Like if one pill doesn't work for you there, we could definitely find another formulation that might work a lot better for you. Yeah. So it sounds like there's not that many like
1: bad side effects. Because I feel like the main reason I got off of that initial stint of birth control pills was because my parents were just so against it. Yeah. Not just because I was sexually active, but because that they were like, oh, you're putting all these hormones in your body. It can't be good for you.
2: So I'll (laughs) say this. The birth control cell definitely protects against ovarian, endometrial, and colon cancer. So it lowers your risk for all three of those cancers. It does slightly increase your risk for breast cancer, an extra one case for almost like 8,000, which clinically is still really low. So, if you want the pill, that's not necessarily a reason why I would tell you not to go on it. But I mean, people tolerate it pretty well. And I don't think that there's many negative, harmful side effects, but you need to talk to your doctor about like past medicals, see if you've ever had blood clots or strokes, even at a young age. So, those are all things we think about when prescribing mm-hmm. and smoking. So, make sure you tell your doctor, even if you're embarrassed or you don't want to admit it, you got to tell your doctor that good to know yeah just just quit smoking everyone don't don't start (laughs) exactly
0: um okay well i think that's a great segue for our next sort of topic which is pregnancy Mm -hmm. um because also this is like very real for like at least me like i'm approaching my 30s and i i definitely want to have kids like in my timeline obviously not soon because your girl is single but (laughs) (laughs) um i do want to have kids and you know there's this myth out there that it's like you can't have kids you know after whatever age and I'll admit like that fear is still very much in my mind I'm like oh my gosh I'm getting a little bit older you know the reality of me having kids like of my timeline like earliest maybe is like 35 at this point Mm -hmm. so like what is like the truth behind like fertility and women's age and like when you can, you know, get pregnant?
2: So your most fertile and reproductive years are really in your 20s. Early 30s is fine. Generally speaking, after it's age 35 is when we try- start to see egg quality and egg quantity decrease. So it might become slightly more difficult, certainly by the time you're 40. I think the statistic is women have a 5% chance of getting pregnant every month. Mm -hmm. So that's like if you put it into, you know, a pool of 100 people, that's less than five women per month that are able to get pregnant at 40 and beyond. Now you still can. Um... I tell women, I mean, I've seen people like mid-40s that get pregnant on accident, right? It it happens. Mm -hmm. If you have normal monthly periods, I would, you know, I would suspect that you could get pregnant at any time if you're not careful, Mm, even if the chances are less.
1: I'm just imagining myself at 40, just like, like, was able to avoid it throughout my 20s and 30s. And then be like, dang it. Damn. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. Work so hard to prevent pregnancy in their twenties, which is like their most fertile time, yeah, and then it's really now bad. all of a sudden you see this influx of women where it's it's very normal to do egg freezing and in uh, vitro fertilization and go through all these fertility treatments, and it's just you know it's comical to me sometimes because we spend so women from so much of their like twenties yeah, and teens like not really getting weird. pregnant, and then all of a sudden like thirty hits or thirty five hits, and they're like, okay, what do I need to take to get pregnant now?
0: Well, <laughs> it's just a reflection of like this world that we live in now Society. especially with like women becoming more educated more just like prevalent in the workforce right like we are focused on ourselves and building our careers and doing all the things and to be honest like being pregnant in my 20s is just, like not even a no. like not even a thing like I knew that like that was not gonna happen yeah. Right.
1: like I feel like my my relationship with thinking about me getting pregnant in my 20s is comparable to like teen pregnancy really? <laughs> like that's the that's the level of like panic I have
2: I think it's like somewhat cultural too. Like we live in America now, the standards are different, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but generally like my mom, my aunts, but they all married very young. They had me when they were in their 20s and with my brother. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, like you said, people have different lifestyles. People are educated. They're focusing more on their career at this time. And kind of having a family is like not as big of a priority now. And I think in this culture as it is back in India or back you know, wherever you're from in Asia or Europe or any anywhere else because the society society's just different here. There's different emphasis on different things. Oh, totally.
0: Yeah. My mom, you know, had me at age like I think she was twenty five or something. So oh, wow. and she had three kids <clears throat> by the age she was like twenty seven. So it was like That's just a different world. So for her, you know, she compares her life to me and she looks at me and she's like, how are you (laughs) still single? Like, you know, and like you don't you don't have kids and all this because, you know, she thinks, okay, when I was your age, I had three children and was raising them already. Um, And I think that there is a cultural difference you know and gap and understanding like our bodies and that really did impact me and sort of my lack of understanding you know and now I'm like at a point where I'm like okay I'm approaching 30 and I'm thinking about these things because it's like I do want to have kids you know in my future so I guess if you are somebody um, who is, found, you know, a little bit later in your 30s and you want to have children, um, I think there's a lot of like, I options. don't know, options, right? And maybe we can talk about that and like what that looks like for somebody who may be like having children later in
2: life. Yeah. So generally speaking, after the age of 35, if you've gone six consecutive months without having and you success getting pregnant, you're typically sent to a fertility specialist. Um, Under 35, it's a full year. So we give women under 35 a full year to try to conceive naturally, after which then we send them to a fertility specialist. Um, There, I mean, they can do a ton of different things. They can give you medications to help stimulate um, your eggs to mature so that they can get fertilized. Mm -hmm. They will do checking all your blood work. They will make sure there's nothing else going on. So look for anatomic things, get imaging, make sure your tubes are open. Um, which can get scarred and blocked, you know, by virtue of different pelvic infections or maybe just you know, for whatever reason. So there are definitely a lot of options. Um, so I wouldn't get discouraged to anybody who wants to get pregnant in their late thirties, early forties. I mean, talk to your doctor about it and see somebody who specializes in the field, because I think, you know, you shouldn't lose hope or feel like you can't get pregnant, but just know that it is a little bit more difficult as we get older. Awesome. Well, that's good to know. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I know, I remember when I was, um, I think I was 25 and, I don't know what came over me. And I, I don't even know if I want kids in the future, but I heard that there was this egg freezing seminar going on in New York city. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't foresee myself having kids until maybe like late thirties. Like maybe I should think about getting my eggs frozen. And so I go to this seminar and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, wait, I'm 25. What what am I doing? (laughs) But then they were like, yeah, you know, after you turn 26, like, Every year, like you have like less and less eggs or something. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should get my eggs frozen. So what are your thoughts about egg freezing and when should we do it? And if people are thinking about it, what's your advice for them?
2: So I totally support freezing your eggs. I think it's totally something that women in our generation and our culture now are doing more and more frequently. And I kudos to them because they are really prioritizing family life, work life, and kind of planning ahead for the future. In that same regard, egg freezing isn't necessarily like an insurance policy, I would say, meaning just because you freeze your eggs, it doesn't mean that those eggs are going to get fertilized. And really, as the longer you go... Um, the less likely your eggs are to fully mature. So uh. make sure, do it early. But again, there's tons of options. And again, you could be 38 and have as many eggs as somebody who's like 28. It's everybody's a little bit different, but you know, you have you have to be proactive about your health early. So when you go for your annual exams, when you're like 30 and you're getting your preps, you should talk to your doctor about these things. I know it may seem like you, you feel rushed and the doctor is really busy, but most of them will stop and have this conversation with you or at least direct you to somebody to give you more information so
1: so how would we go about asking the doctor what our egg count is like you know is is that something that we need to do even if we're not thinking about getting pregnant anytime soon
2: so there aren't there's one lab test called an amh level that can that is a marker for like egg quality Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't necessarily tell you if you're if you're able to get pregnant. So even if that number is low, women can still go on and have normal pregnancies. If that number is high, women still might have a difficult time. So we don't have a blood test yet and we don't have like mm-hmm. a constellation of blood tests that kind of give that answer. I would say Tell your doctor, hey, look, like I'm interested in the process of freezing my eggs. I'm not at a point now where I want to have children, but, you know, maybe five, ten years from now I do. What are my options and who can I go talk to more about it? And they'd be happy to talk to you about it or give you a referral or give you an online resource for the time being. Have you come back and have have a more in-depth conversation about it? But you just just ask them.
1: Mm. And what's like the price point of this? Because I think... (laughs) They told me some like sky high number, and I was just like it's flabbergasted at 25. It's just like
0: a, a really bear, like a big barrier mm-hmm. to, yeah, a
2: lot of these it's things. It's not, um, it's not cheap, and that insurances are not going to cover it for the most part. So, you're looking anywhere, I mean, depending on where you go, where you live, eight thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. I mean, because that includes injections that you have to give the actual, um, you know, you have to go into blood work every couple of days, you have to get the serial ultrasound, you know, you have the transfer, you've got to freeze them. So, I mean it's a long, long process and things would be costly. But if it's if it's something you're passionate about, something you know that you want, I mean, don't let that be a burden because there's payment plans, there's options, mm-hmm. there's, you know, ways that your doctor can help you help you get there. Wow,
0: I feel like I'm learning so much <laughs> in this like twenty minute conversation. <laughs> So I, we have like some other questions that we wanted to ask you. One thing that I'm really curious about is, you know, if I'm going into like my yearly checkup with my gynecologist, like I always sometimes like don't know like what questions I should ask. And I think that like being an advocate for your own health is something that I've learned is really important. It's like, you know, your body the best, you know, when things feel off, you know, when like you just don't feel right. And so what do you think are some like just general questions for especially people who may be like really shy and like don't want to ask things but what are some things that you think as women we should be thinking about and we should not be afraid to ask our doctors
2: like in terms of testing or in terms just like our own bodies like preventative
0: care like um yeah testing like just general things that if we have that one you know or things we should know just things we should know like okay you should go in and ask about xyz or check in about this part of your body or Things like that.
2: Yeah. So if you're going to see your GYN, you definitely want to make sure that you know when your last pop smear was. I tell girls this all the time, they think they have a pop every year. We do not do pop smears every year. We do pelvic exams every year, but your pap smear really comes every three to five years, depending on if they've been normal or abnormal. So between ages 21 to 30, 21 is when we generally start pap smears. You get it done every three years. After the age of 30, they say you can go up to every five. Most OBGYNs will still do three. I tend to still do every three, even after 30. Yes.
1: What's the difference between the like a pap smear and a pelvic exam? Yes, as
0: a, that was my next question yeah. too. Because I was, like, <laughs> I don't know I
2: was like, oh, I don't know. A pap smear is basically, they'll do an exam. It's basically a pelvic exam, meaning they insert a speculum, they check the tissue, they localize the cervix, they make sure everything looks normal. But a pap smear is when they actually take the brush and get a sample of the cells on the cervix. Uh Because what the pap smear is, it's a screening test for cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. And that you need done every three to five years. But generally speaking, most people will still do an exam. They'll still routinely ask if you want STD testing. You should never be afraid to say if you have any, you know, symptoms in the vaginal or genital area whether it's like discharge itching burning like never feel ashamed or embarrassed this is what we do every single day i can Mm -hmm. tell you from experience nothing phases us it doesn't matter if you're on your period and you need an exam like just come in and you will be able to be seen and then in terms of preventative health i think the big caveat with that is making sure you know your family history Mm -hmm. so knowing you know do your mom and dad have any medical issues that need to be screened earlier as a result Um, and really the age that they were diagnosed. And I think that especially culturally, it might not be as easy to have that conversation with your parents because they're probably not as forthcoming with that information. You're not going to be like, hey, when were you diagnosed with diabetes? Like, you know, things like that. So doing the best you can and honestly, like trying to normalize it in the home. I mean, you don't have to go above and beyond and be like, hey, we're going to at dinner talk about, you know, what your recent love you know, blood tests from your doctor's office, but just making sure that you, you know, have that conversation and try to open that dialogue up. I think that that's really important.
0: Yeah. That's really helpful. What is uh, the, I guess, risk factors for cervical cancer? Like, I think I hear a lot of like ads for it, you know, and I'm like, well, who's at risk, like who's really at risk, you know, and, 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 is the only way to find out basically through a pap smear?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the biggest thing is cervical cancer is caused by HPV, which is the human papilloma virus. It's a sexually transmitted disease. I would say that it's actually sexually transmitted virus rather. Oh, wow. I would say that by a woman, by the time a woman's like 20 to 30, about 80% of them have been exposed to HPV. It is super, super common. Mm-hmm. Um, now just because you've been exposed to HPV doesn't mean it's going to show up on every pap smear. doesn't mean you're going to get cervical cancer. The, your body does a really good job if you've been exposed in your twenties of fighting it off before the age of 30. After the age of 30, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but if you have HPV on a pap one year, and then you know, another year you don't. That's not uncommon. Um, I always tell women good ways to like help the body fight off HPV is actually a diet high in cruciferous vegetables, so a lot of cabbage, lots of bok choy, lots of broccoli, things like that. So the more plants, the better. Not you know, it's not a true guarantee, but generally speaking, it's. it's probably the most helpful thing you can do in terms of what you know a modifiable respect that you can do yourself so a pap smear will always just you know we'll be able to detect it generally speaking we don't do any other screening tests for cervical cancer okay. there's a very small genetic component but really not i mean
1: really not so i know there's the hpv vaccine now i know i got it back when i was in college and i think back then they were like you have to get it before you were a certain age but correct me if i'm wrong but now you can there's a There's a higher age threshold for it.
2: Yeah. So before the HPV vaccine was just um, allowed and really covered by most insurances up until age 26, they felt like it was most effective for women at that age. Mm -hmm. They've now changed it from ages 27 to 45. So that is now approved. So basically anybody from 12 to 45 can get the HPV vaccine. Um, It's a three-shot series. So you'd have to get all three to complete. I'd say if you got one or two like earlier in life and now you're over 26 and you want to get the third one, chances are you're going to be repeating theory but I think everybody should get in boys and girls when they're you know seeing their pediatrician like 12 13 14 years old so so boys can get it too
1: yes and they should yeah yeah men should take take responsibility
0: yeah (laughs) takes two to tango now doesn't it yeah
1: (laughs) wait there's like the
2: the male birth control noun right I don't think it's out yet but there is um something that's supposed to be coming out I don't know how common it will be I don't know if we can get a man to take a birth control pill oh my god Um, it would
1: be great I've seen so many memes they're like we like men don't want to take it because they'll have like mood swings and all the symptoms (laughs) and we're like what do you think we've been doing for the past like right
2: 50 years one day I
1: know
2: yeah I know we go through that every month so I mean (laughs) yes yes
0: um, well that was actually super helpful. I feel like I didn't know all of the the components of that and I love hearing that cruciferous vegetables <laughs> can help because I eat a ton of those. So.
2: Yes, they're the best. They're the best.
0: Love that. Um, what about just like general diet and like vitamins or just like things that you think can help your overall like health?
2: Um, so I'll go back to diet. but so I'm sure everybody has read about every fad diet. I'm sure, I mean, we've all tried like all of them, paleo, keto, low carb, intermittent fast. I'm sure everybody that's listening has tried at least one of them or a combination of many. The best data out there in terms of reducing your risk for chronic disease is really to have a plant-based diet. Some integration of protein, typically in the form of fish or lean protein. So lots of fruits, vegetables, legumes, um, nuts, seeds, things like that. Plus, you know, fish, olive oil, healthy fats. Mm -hmm. So a combination of that is going to be your best thing. I say what's good for the heart is generally good for the rest of the body. So, you know, that's what's recommended by the American Heart Association. We find that that same diet actually shows lower risk of breast cancer. So again, And that's a huge component because it affects, you know, one in eight women. Um, Alcohol is huge. And I think people don't really recognize um, the risk associated with it in terms of all chronic disease. But um, I typically tell women under seven drinks a week, which is, you know, less than one drink a day would be the recommendation, especially for breast cancer risk prevention, cardiovascular disease, things like that. So what moderation of alcohol, a healthy, well-balanced diet, you know, avoiding processed foods, refined sugars, things like that. Parsifera's so,
0: vegetables. <laughs> yeah, that makes me super happy because broccoli is my favorite. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, that's really helpful too because we well, you touched upon breast cancer just a little bit, but I didn't think we like really dived into it. What? Yeah, like I think breast self breast exams are like probably the best way to kind of check for yeah. your own self. But maybe you can talk a little bit more about that and like what we can do to be on the lookout for.
1: Yeah, because every I'm just mm-hmm. like touching my. I'm like I don't even know what I'm feeling for. Yeah, I'm just fine with them. I'm, I know that's important. Like the yeah, self exam.
2: It is important. Um, Generally, a lot of guidelines actually recommend against doing self-rest exams because they Mm -hmm. tend to... have women feel a lot of things that actually really aren't there. And then they go through all these imaging tests and like mm-hmm. biopsies for things that are otherwise benign. But I tell women, if you feel something, say something. So for women that are getting their periods regularly, the best time to do a self breast exam is actually right after your cycle. The density of your breast is the lowest at that point. And what you would be feeling for something that feels like a frozen pea or a marble, something that's like round, like thick, um, sometimes can be painful. A lot of times it's not painful, but if you have breast pain, that Would be an indication to see your doctor. Um, other things, if there's skin changes on the breast, if um, one starts to look different than the other, if you have any nipple discharge, those are all kind of red flag signs that you'd want to see your doctor for. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's cancer, but you definitely want to not ignore those, you know, signs.
1: And so walk me through how to actually, <laughs> yeah, walk <laughs> me through how to actually like feel for it. Let's so do it like, right now together. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I I tell women do it after they are done showering do one breath at a time the breast that they're checking so if they're checking the left breast first the left arm should be straight up over their head and they should essentially be kind of going in a clockwise formation kind of feeling for any lumps bumps or you know that goes into your marble like and then around do it, the edge? around the edge and then all the way up even on the nipple okay. all the way around um, and if you feel something say something you can also always check your armpit area to see if there's any lumps there there. We Love always it. check that area because you can get and lymph nodes there as well. Alyssa and I are like both checking. Right yeah, now. we just <laughs>
0: walked through that with you, <laughs> and I feel yeah, yes. Honestly, though, I think that's helpful because mm-hmm. a lot of times you're like, oh, I know I need to do it, but you're like, like what how? Really? what am I? Really yeah. looking what for? Am, I lo- what yeah. am I feeling for? Yeah, and then like lastly, just like thinking, you know, our our background, like as. You know, Asian American woman, um, are there any specific health concerns you think that like we should be just like aware of that maybe like it impacts our communities more? So therefore, like you should at least have an awareness of it?
2: Yeah. Um, I guess the three big things that affect Asian populations more than others would be cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. But when you look at that compared to like maybe a Hispanic population or white population, it's still lower, but it's still a filter the to top three within the Asian community. Breast cancer is the number one cancer affected by Asian women, and prostate cancer is the number one cancer for men. So making sure you're staying up to date on, you know, your breast exams, which you just talked about, getting your mammograms at age 40 and, you know, talking to your doctor every year when you see your gene. DYN for your annual exam, they will do a breast exam as well. So know that at least if you're not doing it regularly, you're at least getting a good thorough exam by your doctor at that point. Um, Other things I would say, osteoporosis, this is something that's like, down the line osteoporosis is basically just thinning of the bones. It does happen a lot to Asian women. There have been studies that look at show that Asian women actually have less calcium in their diet. Mm. So I don't necessarily tell women to like go out and take a bunch of calcium but like making sure you have like you know leafy green vegetables, nuts and seeds, milk, cheese, dairy, anything like that. Um, You can get calcium fortified foods which can be helpful um, to help protect your bones. Uh, Generally speaking I think all vitamins and nutrients should be taken through the diet but if the only only vitamin supplement that i recommend is actually vitamin d3 because you can't get it from a lot of food sources and it's good for mood energy good for your bones um have been studies that looked at low vitamin d levels with like cancer risk so it might help with cancer risk reduction so everybody should be on vitamin d3 even if you live in a really sunny climate because women are always like i live in florida i live in cali i'm out in the sun all the time no you should really still take it
0: yeah, yeah, that actually justifies with my uh health practitioner also. Rec- I'm so I'm on a D3 supplement, a little dropper that I take. Oh, every I have a little little pill bottle of D3. Good. Oh my gosh, that makes
2: me so happy. <laughs> yeah,
0: and she was like, "Yeah, you still need just because you live in California doesn't mean you, exactly. you don't need it." <laughs> well, yeah. you never How go out in the sun. Anyway? I'm also like, I don't really go in the sun anyways. I'm the one laying skin. out in the sun. <laughs> I like to protect my skin. um yeah. Okay. I'm sunscreen.
2: Speaking yeah. of which, if you guys are living in California, or Florida, sunscreen is huge. It's like literally the number one thing you can do for your skin. So if you're laying out, Stacey, you need to be wearing your skin. Oh yeah,
1: for sure. Sunscreen, for sure. All the way. Huge advocate.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, this was such a jam-packed episode of so much, like, insight, just helpful information for me personally and I think for our audience, too. Mm -hmm. I learned so much today. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm
2: glad. I had so much fun with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So as we wrap up, we
0: kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe close out on if you have any final words for our audience about just, like, health in general um, and then also give you an opportunity to let people know where can they stay connected with you after this podcast?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, you are your own biggest advocate in terms of your health. So don't hesitate to go to your doctor for anything. Um, for those of you that want to learn more about women's health, you can follow me on Instagram at SKS underscore MD. I'm on Twitter at Sabrina K. I have possibly sksmd.com coming in the near future. So stay tuned for that. And if you are in the South Florida area, you can feel free to come see me for an appointment. I am at the Cleveland Clinic in Weston. Thank you guys.
0: I selfishly wish you were in California. I know. So (laughs) So you can be with (laughs)
2: Dr. I know, maybe I should come out there. You
1: should do virtual consults.
2: You know, I will start doing virtual visits eventually, so I will let you know. Yes.
1: (laughs) That would be amazing. amazing. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And, you know, we, we wanted to do this episode for so long and we finally were able to make it happen. So we're really happy we're about so that. Happy. Yeah. I
2: know. I'm so happy that we could make this work. Thank you guys again so much. You guys are the best. Thank, thank you. Much, thank you. Um. And so with that,
0: we have a final reminder for our audience. Um. If you aren't following us on Instagram yet, um, go ahead and do that at talk underscore podcast. And then you can find Stay at S-T-C-L-U and and myself at Always Alyssa Marie.
1: And if you like this podcast, of course, give it a screenshot and share it on your stories. We always love seeing your feedback, your reviews, your thoughts. Um, tell us what you learned today that you didn't know before. And yeah, we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Oh, and we could definitely use another, some more
0: Apple podcast reviews. Oh, yes. Please. So, so if you're listening and you and you love this episode, if you wouldn't mind taking 30 seconds of your day and just leaving us a review we would really appreciate that
1: all right thanks guys bye. bye hi everyone thank you for listening to this episode of Tea talk podcast and as always thank you for supporting us since Alyssa and i are both asian american creatives we wanted to find a way to give back to the community and support other asian hyphenated who break the mold by being in the creative fields so we thought we can use this space at the end of each episode to feature a musical artist from this community this week's featured artist is samantha Shen. Samantha is a sultry R&B and pop singer who grew up doing musical theater and school productions and singing at church. Music has always been deeply embedded into her life, serving as a constant driving force of love, healing, and expression. Her goal is to share her story with millions and to heal people with her music. Samantha wants people to feel heard and to feel beautiful when they listen to her songs. This is I'll Carry It. Please enjoy. Don't you remember just yesterday Kissed you goodbye and gave you a ring To promise forever You'll be in my heart Cause you, yes you You got everything
0: with living for